My name is Chloe Tonus, and welcome to this week's episode of Bite Size Cybercrime, the podcast where I talk about crimes that used to not exist until very recently. I love you. Those words mean different things to different people. It's a message of emotional attachment among lovers, friends, and family, and it's even an expression of joy upon hearing positive news. Every language has their own version of the expression, some even multiple to express romantic versus platonic love. But I love you is always a message of adoration. In the year 2000, those three words had a very different meaning. Social engineering is the manipulation of people used by hackers to get people to install malware willingly or surrender their own information. It doesn't take a master hacker to trick people into having their system infected by a virus, just someone with charisma and an unquestionable confidence. We tend to trust confident people and don't exactly question them. And hackers may take advantage of this to get credentials they're not supposed to have, or to write convincing programs for unknowing people to install. I'm sure you've gotten an email before somewhere along the lines of there's an issue with your bank account and we need to fix it right away and conveniently we've provided you with this login page. But it's not a real login page, it's a fake page set up by a hacker so when you enter your account information, it's simply handed right back to the hacker and, well, they can do whatever they please with that information. Although I Love You was not made to steal bank information exactly, it did weaponize our trust. This was because you were curious about a love letter. Perhaps it was sent by a classmate you found attractive, or maybe it was your mom sending a corny letter to express her love. Thank you, mom. The file that you assumed was a normal text file based on the extension was meant to forward itself to every one of your contacts, clogging their inboxes and email servers as a whole. You have become a part of this hacker's scheme, and now your friends and family are sent a file from your email account, one that they trust. That is how the cycle worked. I love you took advantage of the trust we have in people and used that same trust to trick everyone, up to 10% of the entire internet population at the time. This is the story of how a single man in the Philippines with a dream for a free internet ended up infecting 10% of the world and costing an estimated 5.5 to 8.7 billion, yes, billion, dollars in damages. I love you was far from the first computer virus and not even the first of its kind, but it would change the way we trust each other and our email forever. AMA Computer University in Manila, Philippines is an information and communications technology college and it was the first of its kind in Asia. At the time, however, it wasn't a university, it was just a college, but still it was among the best schools in the region for students studying computer science, with many bright minds looking to change the future of the internet. One of these students by the name of Onel de Guzman would wreak havoc on the web, however, in the year 2000. Guzman was a 24-year-old college student, and according to an interview, he created the virus because he just wanted free internet access. Guzman was poor as he was a college student, and in the age of dial-up internet, where one had to establish an internet connection on a telephone by calling a number, he was struggling to pay for a password that was necessary to use the service. Dial-up internet required the use of a telephone, as I said, and to establish a secure connection to the internet, a username and password were assigned to the user by an internet service provider. Like any other account you'd make today, as long as you know the credentials, you can use the account, even if you're using a different computer and a different telephone. Guzman would use credentials from other people so he wouldn't have to pay for his own account, and he'd done this on a much smaller scale with social engineering. His fellow students out of their passwords. His virus was only meant to be spread to those in his city of Manila. In fact, until Guzman was curious and removed one line of code, it was entirely geo-locked. This is because those passwords he would need had to be specific to his region. A United States password would not do much good in the Philippines. Guzman, like many today, believed that access to the internet was a human right. 
He was ahead of his time in that regard, as this becomes more true every day. The internet then, although massive in popularity, was not as ubiquitous as it is now, and this may have seemed far-fetched at the time, but today everything's online. Jobs, school, applications, official forms. Many necessities are being moved to the online world, and people without good access to the internet continue to struggle and be left behind. Being at a computer college meant that Guzman, maybe more than others, really needed to use the internet. After all, it would be required for his work, and the school did not provide this service to him for free, which isn't surprising because it was a private school. With his strong beliefs in a free internet for all, Guzman actually proposed this virus as a thesis to the AMA Computer College. In a section outlining the importance of the study, Guzman admits that the purpose is to steal and retrieve internet accounts from the computers of victims. Maybe a bad call to openly admit your goal is theft. And a simple, we do not produce burglars, was written on his paper as a response. Really, this topic could have been fascinating and fostered interesting commentary on the accessibility of the internet and its services. The school may have even accepted such a subject if it wasn't focused so much on, you know, theft of user data. Unsurprisingly, this thesis was rejected by the board of the college, who did not see eye to eye with Guzman's vision, and perhaps did not want to be legally or morally responsible to the damage done by the virus. After all, this was theft, so it must be illegal, right? We'll get to that. I Love You was a type of malware known as a worm. Instead of an earthworm, think more like a tapeworm, a parasite that spreads from victim to victim by using an innocent-seeming transmission. Whether you're eating pork or opening a suspicious file in an email, your risk is worms. This means a transmission means that on the internet, worms can be spread incredibly fast, faster than any living parasite. Worms can do many things, including modifying or deleting files, injecting other malicious software, but principally, worms make copies of themselves. Not only does this spread onto other systems, but it clogs email servers and can sometimes eat up local resources and overload shared local networks. It's unclear why Onel de Guzman felt the need to cause this type of damage when all he was seeking was, you know, passwords to use other people's internet. It could have been out of curiosity, or maybe it was bitterness due to the rejection of his thesis. Either way, the damage this worm caused halted the world. It didn't corrupt any files, sure, but email was needed to complete both personal and business activities, and it was unavailable now, causing some corporations to bleed money. The worm itself was simple, but quite clever at the time. In hindsight, it was written poorly, and it was probably an obvious phishing scheme by today's standards, but the reason people at least assumed it was safe was because the email contained a text file called loveletterforyou.txt which looked completely fine to a user. A text file isn't harmful and it can't run any code. However, it's, you know, not actually a text file that would be too boring. It was a visual basic script file that would automatically run code when opened. At the time, Microsoft had a default option to hide file extensions in emails, so clumsily appending a .txt to the end of the file made it seem like a text file to the user. Maybe this file was weird and showing the extension for some reason. Maybe you never noticed extensions were never shown in the first place. Either way, as soon as you opened it and realized what happened, it was too late. Everyone in your contacts got the same loving text file in their inbox, if they could even open their email now that services had slowed to a crawl. After the geographic restriction was removed, Guzman went to sleep, and the world was on fire. On a Friday morning when the rest of the world was waking and going to work, the virus spread from Hong Kong to the UK to the US. Within just 50 days, 50 million computers were infected. The Pentagon, the CIA, the British Parliament, and most large corporations decided to completely shut down their mail systems temporarily. Think of how many emails you send or receive at work in just a week. Business as usual would become impossible. 
even for the government. And without any business, there's no money coming in, which explains the massive losses within the billions of dollars. Of course, some aspects of business would look perfectly fine to the outsider, but internal processes are pretty dang important to keep a business running, and especially to make really important deals that can bring in even more money. And none of that was happening. At many companies, both large and small, the Philippines National Bureau of Investigation raided Guzman's apartment and arrested him immediately. He tried to hide evidence by removing his computer from the building, but disks were left that contained copies of the worm, so good job, buddy. They knew it was him and they could prove it. So Guzman was done for. Or, well, authorities thought he was done for. Ultimately, they panicked, though, as technically Guzman could not be charged with a crime in the Philippines. Because in the Philippines, there were no computer crime laws. And attempted charges of property damage and credit card fraud just wouldn't stick. Because he technically didn't damage any property or steal any credit cards. Ultimately, because they couldn't find a charge that'd stick, Guzman was set free. This caused outrage, as this man had gotten away with infecting, again, 10% of internet users at the time, which is no small figure even in the year 2000. Ashamed of his actions, he dropped out of college and off the face of the earth, refusing to do any interview that showed his face. Currently, he fixes mobile phones and tries to live life on the down low, away from cybercrime and his near brush with serious jail time. Clearly, he did not expect his malware to wreak this much havoc on the world and didn't know how to handle it. After I Love You, the Philippines enacted Republic Act Number 8792, known as the E-Commerce Law, months after the worm outbreak to ensure no one would be able to get away with a crime on this scale ever again. If they're caught, never click on links in email attachments, especially if you notice something unusual. Be sure that if you download a file, you do know exactly what it is and that it cannot harm your computer. Thank you to Forbes, the BBC, CNN, Time Magazine, Esquire Magazine, and Norton for information on this malware, as well as the creator himself. It was interesting to learn about the man who released the virus in the first place and his motivations. Where is he now? That's all for this week. Until next time, stay secure.